I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it out and a wardrobe door But I Welcome to another exciting episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we push past the fur coats and step back into the frosty wilds of our literary youth, seeking to discover if the old magic still hold true. On alternating weeks, we valiantly offer ourselves as tribute to the popular fiction of today's teen. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, the omnivorous Keith Rowe. Hello. The amenable Patrick Moon. Hello. And the quaternary, but not leastery, Brie. Bonjour. This episode, we style our hair strangely and go all modern with Patrick Moon's choice, a contemporary hit, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Over to you, Mr. Moon. I'll wait until we have a spoiler warning before I thoroughly spoil this book. This episode of Seeking Tumnus will contain spoilers. In fact, we're going to spoil the heck out of this book for anyone who hasn't read it, seen it, or heard about it in some way which is probably no one. But if that is you, we love you for listening, Mum. So I suppose I'll give a quick rundown for the 2% of the population who pride themselves on hiding in hollow logs whilst cultural juggernauts stampede around them and have missed both the book and the film franchise uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence. The film, that is, not the book. Uh, The Hunger Games is set in a dystopian setting where 24 children every year are subjected to a deathmatch within a tightly controlled environmental arena. Uh, The games themselves are organised by the capital, uh, and they're supposed to keep the population in line. Exactly how, I'm not quite sure. But Katniss Everdeen is the hero of our tale, a young woman named after a potato but handy with a bow, who volunteers to step into the arena in place of her younger sister. And together with Peter, the baker-cum-heartthrob of District 12, Katniss pits herself against her peers in the arena, murdering them one by one. It's a joyful tale. <laughs> it was the feel-good film of the summer, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to progress much further than that, I guess, in case people want to sort of pick it up themselves, but uh, blood does flow from that point onward. It sounds really brutal from that high-level view, but I don't think the book itself was that full-on with the, with the violence and the gore. I thought it had vacillated a little bit between being um, fairly brutal and fairly sort of tween fiction-y, as we've sort of come to expect from the, the books we've been reading thus far. Yeah, it was a two-speed sort of thing, and it did switch quite frequently between them both, but I think it did it quite well. There are parts that I find really quite um, confronting, and I think it's the... It's not actually the blood and the gore and the actual violence. I think it's more the promise of such. So towards the end, you know, you've got Katniss who's pinned to the ground by Clove who's wielding knives and being she's taunted in, in some way, I guess. And I find that actually the promise of violence worse than the actual violence itself, I suppose. I think the whole thing is a promise of violence. Mm. The, the, the premise is a promise of violence. And I think it's really – it's um, – I mean, shall I shall I segue into what I think? Absolutely. Yes. Give us your rundown, Pat. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Um, 
I think it's. I actually think it's really good. I I think it um, it talks about those kinds of angsty teen issues that we've come to expect, and it, it's a universal kind of feeling. I think that idea of teen angst and being, you know, put upon by society and the people around you, and it it plays that up like it really does the Twilight thing. It, it has lines like, "I take tiny spoonfuls of fish soup, and the saltiness reminds me of my tears," and like that is. <laughs> It's it's beyond the pale, but it it has a certain a certain kind of appeal to it as well. I think and I really like the way they play it. I think it is infinitely better than the kind of tortured love that stories like Twilight kind uh, try and bring out. Um, and it doesn't necessarily shy away from the the brutality of the whole thing, although. Um, it does intersperse it with some of those sort of tender moments that you require in this kind of genre. And that's my take. I agree. I also think that it's it's like a post-apocalyptic world that I can believe is real. So you've got, you know, you sort of see you've got America, Australia, sort of the Western world as the capital who's using everyone else at their will, you know, everybody else provides for them. It's, you know, keeping keeping the focus on those rich cultures at the expense of everyone else. It's kind of believable in that sense. Um, I haven't really taken that colonialistic kind of read-through of it, but um, the, the one thing I did take issue with in terms of what the believability factor is, like, does does this kind of thing actually work? Did you think that the premise, the, like the very thing at the heart of the Hunger Games, like let's have these children kill each other because this will keep their respective districts in line and remind them of their position. Like, is that a realistic premise? I think it's overly cruel. I don't think it's that realistic, but I think the way they sort of leak information to you rather than set everything up front makes it more believable because by the time everything is revealed, you're, you're in the world already, you're immersed in, in this, you know, this um, downtrodden District 12. Yeah, we have to remember that it's not just the Hunger Games that is this the tool of oppression. The, these districts are, are kept in line through a combination of starvation, um, even in the, um, in the sort of the harvest district where they gather fruit and vegetables and, and grain and whatever else. Um, they're still kept in a starving state. Um, their districts are surrounded by electrified wire and outside of those, um, those boundaries is death either at the hands of the soldiers that guard those districts, um, some, some of which are worse than others. In some districts, the guards turned a blind eye to, to some actions, but where in others, they're really brutal. But outside those gates, um, all those fences are wild animals, some of which were created by the um, by the government themselves to to um, oppress the people further. So it's not just the Hunger Games. I think the Hunger Games is just sort of the nail in the coffin. You know, um, we have total control, and um, we will slay your children. Um, so don't don't provoke us like they had in the past. So I kind of I kind of feel like it would do just the opposite in some ways, and which you know in the subsequent kind of books and movies it actually does and it would make people really pissed off <laughs> like hey come on man like it's a balancing act i guess that's what it plays on that that tipping point where they're too they're too suppressed and they they fight back it's it's a bizarre spectacle anyway i think i kind of um detoured that from you brie you were mm. kind of launching into how you felt about it <laughs> no i think that was 
that was a very good segue actually. Um, I also quite like the people. So, well, I quite like some of the people. I like that they've, and we'll probably get onto this, made Katniss this. Um, she's a bit of a hard ass, really. She's calculating, but she's also got empathy. Um, she's kind of become a product of, you know, her circumstance. So, you know, her mum obviously goes through some depression when her father dies and she's got to provide for her family. Um, in some ways, I do think that they lose some of the nuance of what it might be to be a girl. Um, you know, she has this there's this very protector protector relationship with both her mother and her sister and Rue. <laughs> Excuse um, me for that. <laughs> Just interrupt your train of thought there completely. She has this, yeah, so she's got this protector relationship, but she doesn't seem to ever relate to another woman as a friend. Yeah, even, yeah. It, there's a character, I can't remember, it's the daughter of the mayor, I think, and, and you get the idea from Katniss that she didn't think she was a friend, but in reciprocating it, it was clear that this other girl thought Katniss was her friend. So she's kind of yeah, very disconnected from everyone, very guarded about her own personality and her own um, personal thoughts. So. Mm. It might be that she's, she's never really had time to develop strong friendships with anyone. Um, it, what time that she isn't at school, um, she's mm. out illegally hunting to try and make sure that her family doesn't starve while her mother is, is going through depression and, and is doing nothing much to help them. So, Has she got a friendship with Gail? Well, that's true, but I think that's linked to the fact that they hunt together. Um, mm. they, t they talk about how, to begin with, they didn't really trust each other and she was surprised to see him outside um, hunting illegally like she was. And But over time they started sharing um, secrets. And, yes, they did become friends, but I think if he wasn't out hunting, then they would not be friends. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't seeking friendship, but she ended no, up there. yeah. I think the whole way through she has that kind of figure of Peter too who is really a pretty nice guy and fairly transparent and the kind of central theme of their relationship is her distrust and inability to kind of just see what he's actually uh, thinking. Yeah, for what it is. And for someone who is actually quite empathetic as well. Like she does sort of see, um, you know, that Rue is following her and she feels for her but she doesn't feel that at all for him. <laughs> No, she's quite happy to kind of leave him dying in a ditch. <laughs> Until there's something in it for her. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Laurie? Uh, I, I love the book. I um I I'd gone through a bit of a roller coaster where I, I read the, the books, um and that in itself was a bit of a roller coaster because I love this first book and was a bit disappointed with the third book in particular. But I loved the first one and I saw the movie and the movie was okay. Not a huge fan of Jennifer Lawrence as an actor. Um, that is, I mean, like, as long as you qualify that as an actor, I suppose. <laughs> I just watched um, that movie that she dances in over the weekend. That's a really good movie, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. She's actually a really good actor. So. Yeah, so you might change your tune when you watch that. Okay, I've seen her in a couple of things so far, no good, but I'm willing to give another one a try. <laughs> <laughs> so cold. <laughs> you belong in that arena, man, like hunting down children. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, even you, you, you asked me to qualify it there, you know, when I said actor, but as far as Katniss goes, I didn't think she looked like a Katniss. She has a very, um, round kind of, 
almost like a doll face, I'd say. Whereas Katniss... She didn't have that hunted, gaunt look. No, well, that's exactly right. Well, she's lived lived a half-starved life all her life. And and, and there's a mention of that in a book somewhere where some of the tributes... um, you know, are well muscled and looked after, and um, they they arrive and they look like killing machines. Whereas um, a lot of tributes from her from her district and some of the other districts look half starved. So they have a, and she she um, I think the book describes that she's she's slim, but she's muscled from all of her hunting and adventures through the woods, which most which most tributes wouldn't have. So anyway, I imagined. Um, uh, not gaunt, but like a very slim and um, athletic. Yeah, athletic. Whereas her face doesn't really l- lend to that idea. Um, but anyway, the book itself. Well, I'm not going to engage in any debate that slanders Jennifer Lawrence's <laughs> face, quite frankly. So. <laughs> yeah, I know there's millions of fans out there. So, um, but the book itself, I I enjoy the premise. Um, I thought it was a little familiar, and we might get into that a bit later. Um, but the execution was great. The romance, um, which is, you know, I think half the book, um, it, it wasn't something that made me gag. Uh, it's a healthier kind of romance than things like Twilight, I think. Yes. Well, that's it. Like, in, you know, I imagine Twilight is more like a, um, you know, they're, they're over, overwhelmed with their love. Whereas this, it's, it's confused and, um. Katniss will never let it run away to that extent. So she's no. always keeping it. In check. God, you guys have never been 14-year-old girls, have you? <laughs> hey, she's 16. She? I was actually a 14-year-old girl at one point. <laughs> that's a story for another time. Well, that, that's, that's one thing I, I, I looked at when I was scanning comments on the internet to see if there were any juicy gems to bring to the podcast is, is one point that somebody raised. Uh, there was a question of whether you followed Team Gale her hunting partner that she has gotten along with for a long time, or Team Peter, the the new kid on the block that's um, part of the arena and almost certainly going to die next to her, but a very, very nice guy. Handsome interloper. Yeah, and has been in love with her ever since he laid eyes on her as, I think, a five-year-old or something. So (laughs) um, they they asked whether you were Team Peter or Team Gail, and and one person said, I'm Team Katniss. She's not there for love. She's there for for her family and there to win, and um, that's what I really liked about it. She, she played the game, and that ends up hurting Peter a little bit, I think, at the end of the book. But the whole time, you know, she was out there to um, to win, I guess, just for her family. She wanted to get back and make sure that her, her sister was okay. And I think that was really sold it for me. Yeah, she definitely never lost sight of that that objective. Like whether Even if it was her death, it was always thinking about how that would impact on her family back home. It was always she was very single-minded in, in that respect mm-hmm. and even the, the romance that did develop it was it was for that purpose yeah it's sort of the romance is sort of like I would say the difference between being 18 and being 25 so by 25 you've had a bit more life experience at 18 you're still just living in the moment I kind of think that you know in our world she'd be with Gail for a few years and then she'd end up with Peter <laughs> Because he's got the bread, or <laughs> <laughs> because he's the nice guy, he's the he's the safe choice, he's the good choice, he's the long term choice. He's not the fiery, fun bad boy that you, some of us, <laughs> may have looked for in your younger years. You don't really get to see that much from Gail in the, in this first book. No, that's true, and I am yeah, I guess interspersing comments with the fact that I have read the other two and unfortunately seen the movies. <laughs> which I cannot erase from my mind, particularly the most recent one. 
Um, it's that Jennifer Lawrence, isn't it? She's <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't think – I think she does a very good job as Katniss. I think she does well too. Yeah, I think she's – yes, she's pretty, but, you know, she's no, also she's feisty and calculating and I can still see that in her. I think just on your original point, I think it's important for a young woman to reach that time in her life where she's ready to settle down with the man who she's engaged in a bloody murder fest with. (laughs) (laughs) So long as he can bake for her and decorate them with beautiful frosting. (laughs) It's what I look for in a man. (laughs) What about you, Keith? Yeah, so, you know, at first I thought I might have liked this a little bit too much, but after hearing you guys, I'm kind of, you know... Par for the par for the course here. So I, I really really enjoyed this book. It's it's not the first time I've read it, and I enjoyed it even still. The dystopian setting is is something that's so common in books of this type that it's it's a fertile ground for for heroes and heroism and and characters that develop and grow as they as they as the story progresses. So in that respect, the actual setting itself wasn't wasn't the highlight for me or the story. It was more more the development and the believability of Katniss. We've covered off a lot of this already, but. Uh, she was believable as a 16-year-old. The way that her feelings developed and, and changed, that was that was really what, what I found um, kept me interested in this book. Of course, the, the you know, the, the looming death of uh, of the, the Hunger Games was ever-present, but take that away, and I still would have been interested in the book, which is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time I've read it either. No, I think we, we all had beforehand, which is mm. I think is, is good for just reinforcing what we'd already thought and um, whether it still held up, I, I guess, a couple of years later. I guess that's testament, Keith, to the quality of writing. We've read other books where the writing isn't so good and that's really impacted, but in this, you say that even without The Hunger Games, you were just interested to see what happened to Katniss as a character. And when you really care about a character, then you know it's good writing. Yeah, and it was kind of... It wasn't all, all in her favour either. She's very guarded and, and sometimes you sort of can be a bit frustrated with her actions and the way she interacts with, with other characters who, you know, Peter in particular, who who is always looking out for her. Because she's so guarded, she sees, she thinks everyone has an ulterior motive and, and Peter really doesn't and, and gets uh, shortchanged on that front. She's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit she is, but, I mean, that's part of where she's grown up and the story makes that uh, forgivable. I think the writing is aimed in at, in the right sort of, zone as well for the demographic that she's looking at a lot of the time you read these kind of books and it's like they're writing for idiots and mm. uh I, I think uh, she does a good job of keeping it sort of accessible but high quality at the same time which yeah. is a mark that i think gets missed a lot in this kind of fiction so i like I, I agree with that completely pat you know you know it's not writing for adults but it's not dumbing it down so much that teenagers feel um, condescended to. Is there an age limit for this book? Is there an age at which you think, I mean, I certainly think it's PG-13 plus or whatever it is, but... Um, I'm looking at my copy on the desk at the moment and it says 11 plus on the uh, See, the now, back. I'm not sure. Like, I have a daughter and I'm not sure that at 11 <laughs> she may be well capable of reading the words, but do I want that to be the book that she's reading and then wanting to go and see the movie. I just don't think I'm comfortable for that. I don't know if I agree. Maybe it's just because I was a a boy that loved reading 
<clears throat> high quality fiction about detectives that were beating people up and <laughs> getting to that's a that's a flashback to a lost post podcast. Um, I, I I think probably by that age I would have been desensitized to what I read. You know, is that okay? Days. I don't know. Is it? I, don't I think know. when I was twelve or thirteen, my parents said something along the lines of, uh, "You know who's a really good writer? Stephen King." <laughs> and misery, oh, and that explains and, a lot. Oh God, I I read Misery and I couldn't sleep for yeah. like weeks. So what you're saying it is, w- no, it's not okay. Can we go on a sidetrack and just talk about the books that first scared us? Because that was misery for you, Pat. I, I, oh, it man. might give us an indication of, of the content and what was too young. I read the Amityville Horror, <laughs> and that was in primary school. I'm not sure why it was in the primary school library, but it was uh, terrifying. That's the first book that legitimately, and probably the last I can remember, that legitimately gave me nightmares. So mm. I don't think th- this book is anywhere near that in terms of um, horror value. Yeah. And, and the movie itself? I found was was less brutal, less violent than than the book. Yeah, I agree. They did a very good job of scanning away reasonably quickly. I didn't. I don't remember reading anything particularly scary at a young age. I remember reading things that I thought were particularly adult at the time, and that you know maybe should have waited a bit longer. But um... was this the penthouse letters section? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say me too, but I stole them from my brother's cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I read some Bryce Courtney and, um, there's a couple of scenes that are a little bit disturbing. Oh, Tandia. Mm, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's, there's, I think there's only two books that I never finished reading and I can never remember the second one, but the first one was, um, the, uh, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant by Stephen Donaldson, I think. And it had a similarly brutal and very early scene in the book, um, that, uh, I think was either... Must have been about year seven or eight, and and I put that book down and never picked it up again. And that's some, that's some dark fantasy, though, isn't it? Yeah, apparently this the scene in that I'm referring to sets the stage for major character development of the of the main character. He starts the book as a complete horrific, self obsessed um, rapist, basically, um, mm. um, and it sets him on a path of guilt and redemption that follows through the entire series of books so and apparently they're very good but yeah it's one of the books that i didn't read because i was too young and that kind of thing um put me off so it would still put me off now to be frank i mean you're gonna have to handle that very effectively for it to be a a useful narrative device otherwise you've you've pretty much just disrespected your readers in a a massive kind of way i haven't i haven't read it so i'm not gonna can't comment on it but yeah i i think um Collins does a good job of, of um, keeping a, a balance appropriate to the audience in terms of Katniss as well, in that sense, um, in terms of the violence that she needs to engage in, um, but keeping it sort of almost forced enough that you never have to make major kinds of aspersions about her character. Yeah, definitely. Um, the it's indirect, never a indirect murders, I guess, for the most part. Well, yeah. Necessity, yeah. rather than the, the rage and, and the trained um, assassin style of some of the other district uh, competitors, mm. which they're sort of happening off off screen or off page, the, their brutality you don't you don't conf- you're not confronted with it um, that frequently. No, I think of the 24, 24 contestants, 
a lot of them did happen off screen, um, so to speak, and and the few that did happen weren't drawn out, I guess, until right at the end um, when it gets a bit more zoomed in. Uh, for me, that that just to go back to that discussion, I guess that the violence wasn't that confronting to me. And uh, and one of the things we might talk about a bit later is um, I watched a movie that has a similar plot called Battle Royale and I had been watching it whilst reading and it was the next level of violence. So I I guess I felt that the book was a bit bit tamer. And I guess, look, through history there's been brutality that has been sport as well, you know, the guillotine and... All of those sorts of things. So it's gladiators. Not, gladiators is a great example. So and crucifixion, you know, all of those. Oh, that was the best game ever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a new concept, I guess. It's just the use involved. What makes it particularly sort of um, controversial is that it's children. Mm. Not that I think it's yeah. particularly controversial, but if you wanted to take that that view, I'm sure there were a lot of parents out there that thought it was so horrific and and marched down streets with signs. There must have been some somewhere. I think that was a Jennifer Lawrence uh, hate club, wasn't it? <laughs> weren't you there? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were saying that the book was controversial or whether it wasn't controversial or whether the concept of gladiatorial combat amongst children shouldn't be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> which case we might need to have a, a serious sit-down conversation. <laughs> I'm training up one and I've got another on the way, so look out. <laughs> some, uh, some career uh, hunger gamers. Keith, were there any other topics that you wanted to cover off there? If you look at um, poor Peter, once again, even on the name front, I think he got ripped off there because there's <laughs> no one else in the, in the book that has a name that's immediately relatable to, to modern-day you know, standard names, if you like. And I think part of that was him being painted as this everyman. An everyman with a very Kardashian spelling of his first name. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that was just to make it slightly... Futuristic. Oh, mm. yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that Peter was a, was a reference back to um, one of the apostles? Like, it just a, a sly sort of wink towards him being a very pure and nice and... Um, this is like Jesus times with uh, <laughs> spacesuits and guns. <laughs> no, just just the use of the name. The only one that really is, um, yeah, correlates to a contemporary name. That he's the sweetest pie kind of guy. I think it's drawing a long bow, but there is, um, if you're on the internet, there is people that have that that take that view to the extreme. So yeah, you've you've uncovered a little uh, pocket of allegorial. Um, Evidence that I Nonsense. don't think you... Yeah, basically, <laughs> just like what I'm saying here now. <laughs> I, I think that's ridiculous. But um, as an aside, also Hamish sort of rings a bell as Hamish. Oh, that's but, true. But kind of, um, yeah, very bastardised. I think that's probably a reference to the uh, the Australian comedian of Hamish and Andy fame. I'm not exactly sure how it, how it correlates. but uh... She's not Australian, though, is she? No, I'm making a ridiculous <laughs> comparison to the Peter nonsense. I'm with you, Pat. I'm going to write an essay and put it on. <laughs> I think we can run with this. Let's let's move on. So, one of the controversies that did come up when, when the book was released and the movies, I guess, in particular, um, because it started to to stretch out even further in terms of, in terms of audience um, volume, it was a movie called Battle, Roy- Battle Royale. It was a Japanese movie. And it was a book not- first, though. It was, yeah. Uh, and a manga, I think, yeah. 
or, ma- yeah. or maybe just a manga. Um, but either way, the plot goes along these lines. Uh, a group of students are selected at random and put into an arena where they must fight to death and the last one standing is the winner and may go about their normal life. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that differs wildly from the book, um, but a lot of people said that she directly copied the movie. It, right down to the, the fact that um, when the um, when the students are released into the arena, they're each given a backpack containing a random weapon, which is exactly what happens when the um, tributes rise out of the arena floor and uh, um, the clock counts down to one and they're all set free to, to run off and kill each other. They're given that exact opportunity. They, uh, they can grab a bag. It's got something random in it, something that will hopefully help them kill or um, hide from the other tributes. So there were a lot of parallels. There, there's um, an effective game maker as well. So if the, um, if the participants in this, well, not participants, but the people thrown into this arena of death, these school kids, take too long, they are forced together by um, explosives that will go off in their area. And they've got little GPS, uh, they've got a little map and I've told which areas on the map will start blowing up if they, sorry, their heads will explode. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they wear like explosive collars, yeah, don't they? Yeah, that's right. They've got this um, <laughs> ring around their neck and they will explode if they um, if they don't move You're obviously shying away from those violent scenes. You yeah. just see uh, the exploding heads. <laughs> yeah, it, so, is, it is considerably more brutal than the Hunger Games in that sense. So while there might not be a massive audience watching and betting and um, following the progress of the, um, of the school kids, they do get bored, the people that are running this game, and if they don't, they, they try and push them together to get to a swift outcome. The only slight difference really is that if they don't all kill each other within three days, then they all die. Um, so they're forced to to come together and murder each other pretty quickly. And the violence is much, much gory, both in terms of reading the book and watching the Hunger Games movies. There's a, um, this battle royale has kids slicing um, each other's necks and shooting each other, and um, a lot of them actually hang themselves and throw themselves into the sea. It's just pretty full on, and they, they're they just school kids, and it's um, done to... It's not really that clear as to why cho- um, why this this act has been put in place, this law, but the government um, was facing high unemployment and people were rebelling, and they thought that the youth were to blame, so they'd just select a random school class and then throw them in this pit of death, and hopefully, I think, to terrorise the school kids into behaving better and getting jobs or something, I'm not sure. So it's the Go same on. principle is what you're saying, is that you're you're controlling the population by what such an extreme act of brutality. Absolutely. Everybody's frightened into submission. It's that sort of thing. Or is it this just because is it a reflection of the Japanese society as well that they tend to follow along I don't want to say like sheep. That's not true. But, but that's that's not really shown in the movie, and I don't know if the book's any different, but mm. basically the class that's chosen, uh, they don't go to school or they, they're, very, they're very rebellious. So whatever this act is brought in for, maybe it is for that reason, but it's not effective in controlling the population. So that's mm. just one of the many, many, many ways that this differs from The Hunger Games. And I think you've painted the picture there, Laurie, that it's very similar, but having watched the movie, I, I didn't find the tone of it to be similar. Uh, obviously, some of, everything you've painted there did happen there was also the love there was also the love story 
Yeah, but the characters themselves as well, they were very contrived and very shallow. The females in particular uh, were all about romance, which we didn't have that in the Hunger Games. Mm. Even though there was romance, that wasn't their, their motivation or wasn't their central, uh, the central element of their, their being. Yeah, I think the difference there is that they were a school class, so they all knew each other and there was established relationships instead of being 24 strangers, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and surely that's just so that they could be wearing school uniforms. It is a <laughs> Japanese movie, after all. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Patrick, did you watch it? Uh, I, I've seen Battle Royale, but not for quite a few years. I, I just remember um, copious spurts of blood and whatnot, which is basically my enduring kind of memory of the thing. Right. So, so Suzanne Collins, um, after suddenly hearing about for the first time allegedly um, this movie made a statement saying that she'd never watched it and it was a completely original thought on her part um you know apart from taking from history things like um the gladiator games etc and then trying to make it worse by implementing children as the uh, as the central character so she, she claims n- no knowledge of the movie and i guess the discussion never really went Beyond that, I guess the fans of Battle Royale probably frothed for a while, but um, I th- I thought the parallels were very clear when I when I read the book for the first time. I had watched Battle Royale, and I was surprised at how many parallels parallels there were. So I guess I mean, does it matter? Like I mean, well, I mean, definitely not. No, I think definitely doesn't matter. But it stands up on its own. Does Battle Royale stand up as a movie and or as a manga on its own? It's sort of. You know, you take your influences from anywhere. Being a writer myself, highly esteemed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love Battle Royale. Um, I, I saw it many years ago the first time and having watched it again recently just to, to read along and watch with the book, I, I still enjoyed it. It is uh, Japanese... I watch a lot of anime and, and read a bit of manga as well. And I think they have a very distinct from Western storytelling sort of um, method. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked I liked the combination of the violence and the setting. And some of it was ridiculous. Like there's, there's no getting around it. Um, some of the, the, the dialogue and some of the scenes that they created. No, it's not A-grade stuff, but it was fun. It wasn't believable. Oh, no. Is what you're saying, like... You enjoyed it, but it wasn't believable, and, and I didn't really enjoy it and didn't find it believable. Mm. Right. Why didn't you enjoy it? It's, it's not my sort of movie. The, the, the shock, schlock, violence, the blood spurts, it really it didn't uh, capture my attention. Right. I think the two can coexist, though, as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a very different audience for them. Mm. I agree. Keith, when I first brought up the movie and the parallels that existed and how there was controversy, you, men- you mentioned that you'd seen an article about a Stephen King book um, called The Long Road. Yeah, or The Long Walk. Yeah, that, that, ah, that's sorry, right. Walk, yeah. Actually, for, the first thing that came to mind was Running Man, and I kind of had this idea that it was very similar to The Hunger Games and then probably Battle Royale as well, but that kind of was a little different. Uh, it was a game show where contestants are hunted by assassins and they get paid based on how long they survive. There is some similarities there, but the long walk in particular... When you say they get paid based on how long they survive, like, does the payout come <laughs> after you're murdered? Well, I think it's more for your family. It's another okay. one of these dystopian worlds where, you know, everyone's, you know, looking for a leg up and people are willing to sacrifice their own lives for the betterment of their family. So I think, mm. um, yeah, the, the long walk, though... There's um, some very striking similarities there to both Battle Royale and uh, The Hunger Games in that it's it's a um, it's teenagers competing in a physical content 
contest to the death. Uh, one winner takes it all. And it's strange. It's, it's a little bit like speed as well in that the, it's basically a walking competition or a running jogging competition. Let's say walk because it's called the long walk where each of the contestants has to maintain a pace of four miles per hour. And if they don't, they get warnings. And after, I think it's three warnings, they'll actually get shot. And uh, basically, it just keeps going until there's one person left. There's no sleep. There's no stopping. It's a, it's a physical competition to the death. I've um I've started reading it, Keith. I'm I'm only about halfway through. Um, and it's the thing about yeah, we've got two Stephen King fans here, right? Three or four, two or three. This this is the first book he wrote, I think. All right. Well, I've read a few Stephen King's books, and I know there's a couple of fans hosting the show. Um, I'm not a big fan of Stephen King. I think he writes great books that end terribly most times. Um, and I think he's a little heavy on the, on the, um, uh, on the use of Christian, um, motif. Um, that's a very stand esque, um, criticism though. I don't think that's necessarily a a theme uh, throughout all of his work. Uh, we'll talk about that maybe Somebody put one on the list. Yeah, (laughs) good idea. Um, But I'm really enjoying this one so far, and I'm terrified it's going to end terribly. But there are quite a few differences. You do um, have these under-18s entering this competition, and they just keep walking until there's only one person left. Um, But it's it's voluntary. Excuse me. I haven't read it, so you're obviously more informed than I am, but... From what I've read, it doesn't really set, you know, give a, a full the full details of why this competition is run. Well, no, it doesn't. They, they've got this um, this general who's very famous, and and he's sort of like the host for the for the event. But the only thing that you know is that there's a massive payoff. Um, you know, this is at halfway through the book. There's there's a massive monetary payoff for getting to the end. But one of the participants who's sort of like the lead character, the, the one that you follow most of the time, he he has actually been to the end um, leg of one of these walks before. He's sort of at the trailing end of of one or two participants and seen how absolutely gruesome it is to see these people walking along because, you know... They walk and they walk and they walk. And as as you said, as they um, slow down to blow four miles per hour, they get three warnings and then the fourth warning is the bullet at the back of the head. So it, it is, it's really violent. And the descriptions used by King in the book are quite violent as well. 13-year-old me would have loved it. Yeah. Yeah. All, all of the characters start off, you know, uh, not happy, I guess, to be in the competition, but they're positive about their ability to get to the end. And it's it seems to me that reading through the book, it's a slow decay of um, both their physical condition and their mental condition. It's it's a good book so far, but I think it's very different. Yeah, the the, um, the central characters are all volunteers. They want to get a prize um, to, to get ahead. It's not televised the whole way through. I think they mainly focus on the last... Um, I don't know, few hours of the race or the last few days of the race. It's boring unless people are dying thick and fast. Yeah, I think so. That's right, yeah. But my, my point with, with bringing that up, though, more, more than just the... It's basically that the, the, all these sort of books, they're going to have taken uh, inspiration from, from many sources. And, and you can go to Battle Royale and say this was the source for the Hunger Games, but then you can go back further and you'll always find something that you know that predates what you're talking about that has has, has similar elements and and that's where i think 
um, Collins has a pretty believable backstory, you know, talking mm. about um, this Greek mythology with minotaurs and, and uh, Roman gladiators and, and even her, her uh, fascination with reality television. Um, you see that all come through and you can see how that could have manifested in the book right, without having any interaction with Battle Royale. There's also Series 7. Has anybody seen Series 7? Yeah, I have. Yep. Yeah, and that, that's, you know, the concept of a TV show who pits people against each other to the death, basically. So um, they're selected at random and dropped into a like a, a, a town, given weapons to <laughs> kill each other. Um, and it's, it's quite a – but again, it's just another influence that may or may not have um, um, an impact on, yeah, Collins as she's writing it. Yeah, it's, mm. clearly, it's clearly an entertaining premise. Mm. The battle yeah, to the death, everyone sort of, you know. Who doesn't love a bit of Big Brother back in the day? <laughs> if, only they, if only the Big Brothers these days rent with the same rules. <laughs> so you're saying that we've loved killing children for all of time? I'm saying that we've loved watching gore. Think yeah, about, I guess. you know, guillotines were done. Guilli- people were guillotined in the middle of the town square. It was sport. It was something different. It was something, dare I say, exciting to watch. Those, those sorts of things, if, you know, were like carnival in some ways. They they brought the town together. That's the other thing with Battle Royale versus the Hunger Games. I think the target audience is very different. The Hunger Games is, is targeted at teenagers, but I don't think Battle Royale necessarily was. You might be right there. Um, despite the, the actors all being children, apart from the people running the running the event. Well, that's it. I, th- I think the inclusion of the children is to add the shock value, whereas in the Hunger Games, there is the shock value to it, but it's more so that the readers may be that age themselves so they can identify with, with the character. Yeah, you're right. I, I would mm. take uh, that 11-plus recommendation on the back of the Hunger Games without really a second thought, but there's no way I'd be letting my 11-year-old watch Battle Royale. Like that, no, that, and I think at the beginning point. of the film they said it was um, not shown to uh, kids of 15 or younger, so... Yeah, it was banned for quite a period as well, I believe. And and I think it wasn't actually released in America until quite recently, in fact, after The Hunger Games was written. So, it's again, it's very possible that she had no interaction or no knowledge of this at all. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. She can be vindicated in that case. <laughs> no. Um, we know you're listening, guilty. Suzanne Collins. We'd uh, <laughs> just, just like you to know we've cleared your name. Uh, no worries. Brie, it's time for She Roars. <laughs> There's plenty of fodder this week. So, you know, she's tough. She's pragmatic. She's not always easy to love. She doesn't take on the traditional role of the girl or, as we alluded to earlier, the Bella Swan character. She's not obsessing over her feelings. I think it's a very um, real reflection of, you know, we're not always just thinking about you boys. I think she's a good role model for girls. She loves her family. She provides for them. She's She has got a soft side. She does – towards the end she starts to question her feelings and she starts to, um, I guess, permit herself to consider the, the future. And when she's stressed, she puts an arrow through someone's neck. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you feel that – um, sisterly thing, maybe she felt for Rue at the time. Maybe you and in the you know the situation that they were in, you'd absolutely do the same thing. Fiercely protective, I guess. I would curl up and die, actually, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> some, some people might. 
I think my favourite line, and I have written it down here, is Katniss, I'll kill a new cook. And you can always gather, as she, she offers to Peter to go and gather the roots and the herbs for them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's the strong man who says, I wish there was some sort of bread bush out there. So um, I think that sort of sums her up very well. Anybody else got any thoughts? I think she's an excellent character and she is a, a good female character. And it's part of the problem, I think, with, um, and I keep harking back to stuff like Twilight, but I, I guess it even bleeds over into things like, um, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey and whatnot. Mm. Uh, I, I suppose because they're sort of based around that same character, let alone archetype, but it's that whole sort of helpless female thing. And e- even mm. when she's not completely helpless, she's still not quite as... Uh, gung-ho and hoorah as her supernatural boyfriend um and so it's nice it's nice to see something where like the roles are actually genuinely reversed rather reversed. than just being yep. sort of tokenistic yep yeah she's she's fantastic uh, i think that's probably one of the best things that um the book has to offer to uh young people as well and it's one of the reasons why i wouldn't i wouldn't really sort of hesitate to pass the book on to someone who was fairly young Hmm. Agreed. And, and it kind of it, name. <laughs> so does that mean it's on the list for uh, the future number no, two? No, I was just thinking uh, there may be some Katnesses out there that will most likely hate their parents when they. Oh man, there's, there's got to be so many Katnesses, but they can't be as angry as all the Frodo's of the world. <laughs> you touched on a line from the book there, Bree. Uh, I had one as well that I had to read it a couple of times because it. Not that it didn't make sense to me, but it just... Um, I'll give you the line and see if you have the same thoughts that I do. So it's, it's shortly before um, they have their first kiss, Peter's kind of out of it. <laughs> just the way you want your first kiss to be. <laughs> Unsuspecting. So the, the line is, I get a couple of pills and water into him when he's not noticing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Anyone? You are, you are rocking the hot, hot button topics tonight, Keith. <laughs> What's that called, um, Pat? Reverse Brechtel? <laughs> <laughs> Depository? You take a line out of context and you can make it into anything. But um... <laughs> I had to read it and yeah. still there was no further sort of, you know, discussion about that. It didn't need to be in there, but it was in there and it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking way too much about it, obviously, but I, th- I think I think you're yeah. uh, that's where your mind goes to. Surely the eleven year olds of the of the world aren't um, as filthy. I wasn't even thinking of it that way. It was more just that, how do you do that? Anyway, it's completely, there's no, there's no. I mean, did you, did you want like part. some kind of explanation? Are you turning to us? For, no, like, I a, just found it interesting. Like a conversation about the <laughs> physics of the thing? Well, that's or? the way I was thinking of it. Right, so. well, <laughs> semi-conscious, put the pills in the mouth, pour some water in, they instinctively swallow. Maybe, no. I guess. There you go. That's it. When you put it like that, it is actually, it is slightly wrong and, you know. It does establish a pattern because she does later drug him once again, so really. <laughs> and it's almost like she does have to keep talking herself into kissing him as well, which I think, I mean, you know, it does at one point say that there is a time when she finally enjoys it. That That is one thing, is is, is they do make her the game player during the games. Like, she, she the, the romance that she's displaying is purely put on um, until right near the end when it starts to change. And I think that's something that I, I liked about her character as well. She's a, yes, she's a strong uh, female character that uh, looks after her family and provides when her mother can't, and she's got excellent hunting skills. Um, she plays the game, but the author didn't make her 
only the brute, only the um, the lethal hunter, only the girl obsessed with her family. They did give her a heart in both her love of her sister and of Rue, but eventually with the boy as well. So I think that's something that, yes, it's 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 great for girls in that there's such a strong character, but I think there was something there for boys as well at the end, apart from all the violence. Um, they fall in, the, in love with Katniss while reading the book and there's sort of hope for the male at the end because I think it's one of the last lines and spoiler alert, everyone, if you don't want to hear it, it's, I take his hand holding on tightly, preparing for the cameras and dreading the moment when I finally have to let go. She, she changes from that sort of callous um, game player to, to someone that's unsure and this, this hope for Peter. I, I like that. She's no longer planning on shanking him at the first available opportunity. <laughs> All right, to the scoring, Brie. So, fiery options. This week I've come up with, this book was A, Scorching, which means you cheered for Katniss at least once, probably when she hit her target, whether that be the pig or the boy from District 1. You groaned aloud when she went in for a calculator kiss. Or B, Smouldering. It promises so much. Good characters. It's pretty believable. But there's something that always threatens to derail your enjoyment. For me, that was the mutations. Mm. No. Um, I also didn't like that it was blatantly setting it up for a second book and possibly a movie deal. Um, and C, let the book go up in ashes or bury it in the coal seam. Uh-huh. All right. Patrick, you first. Uh, I... I think it's pretty scorching, actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock the scorching. I, mm. I enjoy it a lot. Um, yeah, I'll give it my stamp of approval. Stamped, Keith. It's a scorcher for me as well. I really enjoyed this, and yeah, I'd recommend it to pretty broad spectrum of uh, readers. I, I think it's a scorcher as well. As a standalone book, uh, the rest of the series, I'm not sure I could rate it the same um, as a whole. But yeah, this book, I loved it. I echo that with. Um, a couple of things that started to annoy me towards the end and I've just mentioned them. So I think it goes a little bit off centre and I kind of feel that that's where Collins decided that she was writing this as a, at least a, with a sequel and had possibly started talking to somebody about a movie. So this book is officially on fire. <laughs> the, the book is on fire. Girl on fire. Well, that's great. It's good to have a week where we all agree. I think we all agreed that we can hate some other books. Ah, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the lost episode. Will it ever see the light of day? I hope not. <laughs> it could be a, a Christmas bloopers special. <laughs> be before you, uh, before you do the the wind down and um, evacuate us from this arena of death, <laughs> do you think you could you could last in the Hunger Games? Uh, for me, that would be a tentative yes, depending on which bag I picked up. Depending on the bag. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that's a bold claim. I, <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> There's no guarantee of a bag either. Like, they weren't <laughs> at their feet. And that, and when you talked about the randomness in Battle Royale, and I seem to be really hating on this, but uh, they, didn't, they weren't guaranteed a bag, and it seemed to be the closer they were to the cornucopia, the better the bag was. So... It was no. It wasn't the same randomness you talked about with that. But that's going way off course once again. Well, you're, you're being pragmatic here, Keith. Do you think you could you could bring your pragmatism to the uh, arena of doom and uh, slay your competition? 
not as effectively as Katniss. I'd maybe take the fox face sort of um, hiding in the shadows approach. And really, <laughs> when somebody leaves their cheese out, you come take a bite. <laughs> I like that they make her clever. I like that they make all of the girls clever. It did um, even out the, g- the genders very well mm. in that respect. Like there wasn't, uh, there was a very physical males. There were some physical females as well, but uh, it, it did, um, you know, that they played up to the strengths of different characters and they all were in the competition. It was never a case of the most physical would win. Mm. Um, but Thresh as a character, he just disappeared and they never really explained where he went and what he was doing. So that was an Or interesting why he was so well. wedded to Rue other than the fact that she came from his district. Well, I think that's that's reason enough in a lot of ways. Like they they probably had some kind of at least passing acquaintance. Perhaps. Just to maintain, maintain that segue for a second, um, Foxface, I loved her character. That's probably the kind of competitor I'd be as well. Um, All these sneaky cheese eaters. Absolutely. <laughs> um, she, if not Katniss, would have been the person I wanted to win. Well, I think you were setting yourself You're up rooting, for disappointment. Then. Rooting yeah. for poor Peter to, to die in a hole. No, no, Peter didn't do it for me that much, to be honest with you. Oh, I, Tim I, Gale. Fox... <laughs> 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 but Foxface was was clever um, and took advantage of situations multiple times to get what she needed and yeah. was going to, I think, last to the end, at least until one of the last couple, until she uh, did herself in with some berries. So, Peter, Was that Peter's only real victim in the games? Yeah, I think so. Accidental Other than Katniss's well, heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you rate your survival skills, Bree? Look, I think I would physically, I, I couldn't hack it, I don't know. I just, I don't know that I could hack killing somebody else unless it was by indirect means. The berries is a really good example. The the bees, the wasp things. Um, I could I, I tend to get by on some charisma, so <laughs> I don't know that you, that's going to stand you in good stead in um, the middle of the arena when it's a fight You'd to the death. Step out after the countdown towards the cornucopia <laughs> and say, "Let's just talk this and out, smile. guys." Smile. Like... Let's be friends. <laughs> Let's all eat the berries. <laughs> what are you doing with that hatchet? <laughs> yeah. Patrick, how about yourself? No, I, I think uh, I think I'm more in a breeze boat, and I would probably be the the guy who takes a knife to the back of the head within uh, three seconds of the game's <laughs> starting, just sort of spitting blood all over the attractive female lead. <laughs> Is she attractive, Laurie, or not? No, no, not for me. Sorry, no. I don't like her moon face. All right, <laughs> I did like that we. I mean, with the exception of Pat, we hadn't really thought about that, which is kind of yeah. telling that you read a book that the whole story is that, and we hadn't really placed ourselves in that situation ourselves. I think the, that's a testament to the, the way the characters develop, that you can associate with the character but not necessarily have to associate with with this um, dystopian uh, setting that isn't really that relatable. It's funny. I said yes, and... Part of the reason I said yes is I think I've read a lot of books. And you didn't want to embarrass yourself in front of your kids? No. I mean, I've read um, not only this book, but a book that we're planning to cover in the future, which is Tomorrow When the War Began. And I thought to myself when I read Tomorrow When the War Began that I could... I would survive in the same way that the characters of that book did. I know a bit about IEDs. (laughs) (laughs) Hello to our new thousand NSA listeners. But that's more believable. That's not a dystopian thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It'll be fun to find out if there's any, you know, mega rich psychos out there that want to throw us all in a ring. Let me know. (laughs) 
at Seeking Thomas. You can Thomas. take Laurie. You can take Laurie. See the two people uh, stealing yours. cheese, one dying miserably and uh, <laughs> one trying to talk it out. <laughs> Alrighty. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Next episode, we brush the dust off the dust that is formed on Bree's copy of Enid Blyton's The Enchanted Wood. It's sure to be a magical and stimulating read, so please dust off your copy and keep us abreast of your progress on Twitter at Seeking Tumnus. Or if you just want to leave us some frothing, adoring encouragement, we are also on Facebook. Until then, don't eat any strange berries and keep reading. I'm still seeking make those noises, Keith. Those are worrying noises. You should be worried because I don't have a recording. Oh! Oh. Oh. You son of a bitch!